Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 28th, 2018, and this is episode 2280 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a good one for you. I was gone yesterday. I left you with a rewind. I hope you enjoyed it. What I was up to yesterday was out fishing. Uh, me and my buddy uh, David and my brother-in-law Mark uh, retained the services of a guy I keep telling you guys about, Omar Cotter of Luck O the Irish Fishing Guide Service at luckotheirish.net. If you're ever in the Dallas area or you live here all the time and you want to get out and have a good time on the lake, uh, look up Omar. He'll he'll work his butt off for you and he'll make sure he puts you on fish. Uh, and if something happens where he doesn't think he's going to put you on fish that day, he'll tell you, don't go out this day. He'll be honest with you. Uh, that's that's one of the things I love about the guy. He's just really solid dude. We went out. We spent uh, about a good hour and a half giving it hell, trolling for striped bass. And the stripers, unlike the last time we went out, they just weren't there. So we turned our sights on the uh, the illustrious white bass, also known as the sand bass. And in about 90 minutes, we put uh, 75 keepers in the boat. That's a limit for each one of us, and it uh, came on in. I think they might have took Omar almost as long to clean the dadgone things as it did for us to catch him. Uh, he's just that good. So we were, I was away yesterday, so we didn't have our Monday show. And I, I came back and thought, do we want to do a basically do the Monday show today and let the, uh, the rewind stand in for the Just Jack show? And I thought, no, you know what? I just want to stay on schedule, and there's something I want to talk about today. Uh, that I think it's about the right time of year to do. And that is our plans for the show, the TSP business as a whole, and the homestead, uh, and, and doing it at the end of summer of 2018. I know what you're thinking. Summer's not over yet. It's still summer, dummy. It's hot out there. You know, guys, it is hot out there. It, it really is. But um, it's changing. It's changing right now. I can tell when I go out in the mornings, the mornings are a lot more pleasant than they were a month ago. The evenings are a lot more pleasant. There's more of a breeze out there, even when it's not so nice out. Um, it's definitely changing. The sun's a little lower in the sky. I want to put it in perspective for you. Just give you a little kind of kick in the butt to get ready for this fall and this winter. September 22nd which is the fall equinox, the first day of fall. Right now it's 25 days away. 25 days is not a long time. Halloween. Halloween, 64 days. The TSP Fall Workshop will begin on November 7th this year, and I'm going to talk about that today. That's only 72 days. Thanksgiving, November 22nd, is only 87 days away. It's pretty early this year. It came a little earlier than it does some years. And then Christmas, the big holiday, is now only 120 days away. 120 days might even sound like, well, that's yeah, Christmas is coming, but it's still 120. Let me put that in perspective for you. Christmas is 120 days away right now. Last Christmas, since, since Christmas 2017 today, been 247 days. And we're only 120 days away from Christmas. And you, you know how it happens. It's like something about September, and, you know, kids going back to school, dove season opening, fall garden start, Halloween, uh, Thanksgiving. It's like it, it, September is like going over a hump. 
And then, you know, once you get over the hill, you go a lot faster down than you did going up. And it just seems like those, you know, 100, 120 days, man, they just smoke out. Next thing you know, you look up and it's 2019. And with that in mind, and with all the great stuff that we can get accomplished in the fall, because the summer, I mean, I know for some of y'all, summer is actually a great time to get things done. For us in the South, the, the fall and the winter are where it's at with getting things done. And I think that's true everywhere to a degree because all of the work of the growing season and stuff, and a lot of times even with livestock, you've done your big harvest and stuff like that. You, know, you get into hunting season and all, and then you have a lot of downtime in the winter. You can get a lot of things done that you can't get done in, in the height of summer, the kids are out of school, all that. So we're going to talk about that from a standpoint of Nine Mile Farm and what's going on here and from the point of the podcast and the business and some of the stuff we're doing on social media and all of this different stuff today. And hopefully it will kind of spur you to start thinking because tick-tock, tick-tock, the clock ticks for us all. And I, I'll, I'll add today, can you hear it ticking for you? It is. Whether you know it or not, Life is moving. Life is never static. It's a sliding scale. And either you're moving forward or behind you, it's moving against you. So we're going to try to get some uh, motivation and some fun in today as we look at the fall of 2018 coming down on us like a truck barreling down. Anyway, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Look, guys, water filtration is important. Uh, one of you guys sent me in a article that I just kind of threw in my review folder this morning, so I didn't really get to look at it, but it's John out of Moore Park. And John does a good t job of giving me you know, the bottom line up front at the end, basically, of the link and saying, here's the takeaway from this one. And that was basically, if you have a well, test your own water and get a, get a filter. And I think that's true of a well. I think it's also true of city water. It might be more true of city water. Because I hear constantly stories from across the country. Well, there's a boil water advisory in effect for blah, blah, blah town. Well, how long did it take you guys to figure out you needed to do that? How much water have people drank they shouldn't have drank without boiling it since that time till now? And, you know, how many people didn't hear it when it happened, and it's two or three days later before they even know about it. Water is life. That's not an overstatement. And you want to be able to filter your water and make it safe. And I'll tell you what, Berkey, to me, is the easiest, simplest, and best price-per-gallon method of doing just that without stripping out, like, all the minerals and good things that are in water if you are on a well. Right? What it does is it removes the bad and leaves the good. You know that zero water stuff? You know what zero water means? That means no mineral content in your water. A standard Berkey water filtration, the black Berkey filters, leave the minerals behind but take out things like heavy metals and toxins and bacterium and viruses and all that other nastiness. You should check out Jeff today at directive21.com. He is the original Berkey guy. Don't buy your Berkey from some dude at a gun show that got into it yesterday because his brother-in-law told him it was a good idea. Go to the original, the one and only, Jeff the Berkey guy Gleason. Next up today, knifekits.com. Um, I put out a thing on Facebook and, and some other places recently of a bunch of kids, looks like about from the 1980s, and, and they're in a shop class. And they look about junior high age. And I said, you know, the world was... A better place and children were more responsible as young adults when we taught them to use dangerous things like band saws and jigsaws and drill presses and things like that and 
it, 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 a lot of people on Facebook that are about my age that maybe don't have kids or anything, or they don't have any grandkids yet especially, they, they don't understand because the kids are graduated and, and they're like came out of the 90s and they don't have grandkids in school, so they don't know. Like, wood shop is almost dead in America. It just doesn't really exist anymore. And it certainly doesn't exist at that junior high level when we all took it when we were kids. People don't know how to do anything. What's that got to do with knife making? Guys, if you got young people in your house, if school's not going to teach them something, you should. In fact, you should probably teach them the stuff school is teaching them so they learn it right. But this was one thing that I could at least say in the 80s when I grew up that you learned a lot by taking industrial arts, metal shop, wood shop, things like that. And a lot of the things I know how to do today, I, I at least got better at if I didn't just learn from uh, those classes. And they don't exist anymore. Why not teach your kids to make a knife? You'll have something keep for the rest of their life, be the first one they ever made. They made it with you. And you learn all of the skills that we're talking about losing by making a knife, making a sheath, all that other stuff. And it creates a can-do attitude in children. So I think making knives is a great thing for adults. But I think it's a really good way to bring kids, especially, you know, once they get about 10 to 12 years old, they're old enough to use this stuff. I mean, 10 to 12, junior high age, that's when we all learned to do these things. It's time to start teaching our kids again. KnifeKids.com is a good way for you to do that and make something really unique that can become a family heirloom. Check them out today at KnifeKids.com. With that, let's go ahead and get into things today. I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. Um, I want to start out with what we're doing on Instagram. And I know some of you, like, i got enough social media in my life where I don't want any of it. But I think you might be interested in this, even if you feel that way. Let me say something about Instagram that I've, I've found really refreshing. Um, every other post isn't, I hate Trump, or I hate Hillary, or this guy this, or Democrats that, or Republicans that. I'm sure there's a lot of it there as far as the politics, but it's a hell of a lot less, and I haven't seen much of it at all. Uh, what I've seen is people posting things about their lives, good, bad, indifferent, etc., and it's been a lot of fun. The reason we're doing this, uh, my, my nephew and his wife have a very successful Instagram business, and uh, they've kind of encouraged us to do it, and, and I was like, I don't, I don't have time for another thing in the business. I don't. And Dorothy's like, well, I'll do it. And so she started working with them and learning how to do things on Instagram. And she's been basically taking pictures of me, short videos of me and stuff like that, and taking screenshots of the show and stuff and put it on there. And it's really been kind of cool. And she's excited. Um, almost to the point of like, okay, honey, I get it. I have to do work too. <laughs> you know. Um, but if you want to kind of take a look into what I'm doing and not from what I decide to put out, but from whatever she just grabs and throws up there, it'd be a cool thing. We got some cool things coming to it, though, and I'm not going to give them all away, but I'm going I'm to give away one because uh, I think it's going to be really cool. It's Spirko's Laws of Life. Uh, the first one has been published, and I will probably, for those of you that follow me on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, I'll probably publish a few of them, but I'm going to... At least while we're doing it, it's going to be an Instagram exclusive. I may, at the end of it, do a uh, a podcast on it or even two and break it in because it's 30 laws of life. And these are things that I've learned in my life, and I have tried to teach um, anybody that I was teaching about anything to do with life. I've tried to teach them these things. Uh, this is how I, I raised my son. 
uh, this is how I, I, I'm teaching my grandchildren now, especially my grandson who's older and can begin to understand these things. But when I was in the business world and I had salespeople to work for me, you know, I didn't have this formalized into these 30 laws yet, but all of these things, every single one of them is, you know, old, 20 years old in my life or older, came from the people that I looked up to as a kid and a young man. And I believe that your life's better for them. And, and a few of them, like, they weren't all that old. Some of them are a little bit newer, too. Some of them are things that I've picked up as philosophies over the 10 years of doing TSP. But I believe if you, if you take these 30 immutable laws into your life and you make them your own, you know, my version and your version might be different. As I say, what you do matters, that your life will be better. And what we're doing, and we're trying to figure out how to do this, um, we're putting out a photo with the law of life on it. And then we're going to follow that up with a video. But we've realized now on Instagram the videos can only be 60 seconds or less. They have something called Instagram TV or something like that, and it can be up to 10 minutes, but it doesn't show up in the main feed. So we're having to figure out how to condense that down into one minute apiece for the videos. But I think it's going to be a very successful project. Um, let me give you just a couple of them. Law of Life number one we've put out already on Instagram. Always be on time. When you're late, you're saying your time is more valuable than another person's is. And the person you made a commitment to is. Um, this is one of those things that I, I just find to be one of the rudest things in the world when people are chronically late. Now, people that are late because something happened and it's 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 the exception rather than the rule that they're late. You know that happens all the time. I understand that, but when it comes down to things like this, like you know when you have to lie to people about what time you want them at a place because you know they're going to be late like that what they're saying is my time's more valuable than yours and i have found that people that are always on time in fact i'd say always be early might be even better um tend to do well in life because that's an initial thing that a person judges you by that says i can trust this person to meet their commitments and if it comes down to you know if you're late chronically late to somebody when you're dating them Do you want to make that person into a spouse eventually if they can't even make the commitment to be on time to you? So that that's you know one of them that I think is really you know that really matters. Another one I won't tell you what number it is in the chain, but it's preparedness for hard times is nothing more than being a responsible adult, and that really predates TSP. I don't know if I would have phrased it that way, but all of the stuff we talk about the basic preparedness things well, I've always done that because you know you got people that depend on you. Um. What, you know, here's another one. When it comes to what you want and those you love, no one will ever care as much or work as hard as you will. That's something people really need to learn because that means if you won't do it, nobody else is going to either. And, and we have this whole thing that we're going to be going through. Um, another one I have, I've taught you guys this one before, so I'll go ahead and leak it now. You deserve everything you want, but you just haven't done the work yet. So if you want to be part of that, you know, get over to It's a Jack Life on Instagram and give us a follow. And I think that this will be a good walk, and I think it will be a good way for many of you to share this show and the work that we do in our community with people that generally might not be tuned into it initially. They might hear the title and think it's a bunch of crazy people living in Idaho or something like that, where this is actually what we do here. Is This is what I've put into the show for 10 years. These laws of life are what we are all about. It's about having a better life for yourself and your loved ones no matter what happens, good times or bad. So that's one thing we're doing there. But we're doing other stuff, too. It ain't going to be all serious. A lot of fun stuff. 
with the dogs, with the kids. My wife's been posting pictures of the granddaughter bringing me my notes for my Wednesday interviews. Uh, we put a little short video about 20 seconds up of Charlie swimming in the pool yesterday. We've got a lot of pictures she's already taken that she's you know staging out, so we're not throwing 100 of them up there a day or something like that. So a lot of fun stuff, and I, I think that's important, and I think that I've been asked to do Instagram by people that are close followers of the show, people on the Zello group, et cetera, before, or do Pinterest, because they want to see kind of like, well, what's our life really like? You know, I'm a voice on, on the show, but what's, what's life really like? And life is fun. Life is good. Um, whether it's the food we're cooking for dinner and interactions we're having with the kids, uh, you know, and, and then some of the stuff, tough stuff too. We had a lot, I'll talk when I get into what we're doing with the farm, but this was a hard year. I mean, really, the, the, the drought we had ran from May the 30th until mid August with average temperatures over 100 degrees. This was going to be the best year for production I ever had off of the trees after having some of them in the ground as long as almost five years now, many of them three to four. And we had a lot of you know losses in production where the tree set fruit and couldn't produce. We also had some trees lost and some really nice trees lost. And it's, it's, it's hard to deal with, but we want to share that with you guys as well. And... Also, Dorothy will be chronicle in my work with other animals, maybe stuff that we re I really wouldn't talk about on the air much because it doesn't really have anything to do with preparedness. Um, I put out some stuff recently on my fish tanks on YouTube. She'll probably do more, more of that. Uh, but when I'm in my office, I like to feel good. I like to feel like I'm doing a good job for you guys. And so my fish tank is one of those things. Is, is you know even I'll be in the middle of this, and even when I don't mention, a lot of times I'll just look up and I just see you know, the, the ecosystem that I've created in this tank. Uh, I, many of you know I was a snake guy for a long time. I was in breeding snakes. I had over 50 uh, breeding snakes uh, in my possession at one time uh, when I lived in Arlington. Actually, when I started this show, I still had almost all of them. And I was doing different breeding projects and stuff like that. And I got out of it, and I really don't want to go back into that life again. But... Um, I am going to be building a couple really beautiful uh, reptile vivariums that will be in my office. And most of this kind of stuff, we're going to stick to Instagram for it. It just seems like a better place. So these are all things that if you want to kind of get a view of what we do here and, and some of the quality of life things beyond the daily grind of the show, uh, it would be worth checking out. And again, it's called It's a Jack Life. Uh, and it's it's being completely run by Dorothy. And I'll tell you the biggest thing it's brought to us in the past couple weeks since we started it. She feels like she's really part of the show now. I mean, I think that's really important because, you know, she had her thing with the ducks, and we'll talk about that. And it was just, it just ended up being work that she really didn't have the time to do anymore. And because of that, she didn't want to do it anymore. So she kind of felt like, you know, all I do is take care of the grandkids now, and I don't really have... You know, she has no idea how much she does for me. The fact that she books all the guests, the fact that she does all the manual entries for people that pay for membership by mail, the fact that she takes care of everything. She has no idea how valuable that is. She has no idea what I have to pay somebody if they did it. But now she feels like a more tangible connection to you guys in the audience. And so I think that's a really cool thing. And just know when you see things written on It's a Jack Live, 95% of the time she wrote it. Uh, about 5% of the time, I might answer a comment or something like that, and I try to say, this is actually Jack or something. But what you're seeing there isn't me. It's me through her, and it's communicating with me through her, and I think it's really cool. Next thing I want to talk about is the TSP Fall Workshop. 
And I'll, I'll go a little quick with it because not everybody's come, obviously. Because, yeah, I could ha have a workshop for 200,000 people. That, that'd be great. Uh, no, we'll have, you know, 40, 50 people uh, with staff and all. We're usually over 60 to 70 with headcount. Uh, and we'll, so we do that every year. I'm sure we'll do that this year. I'm sure it'll sell out uh, given what we're going to be doing. Um, we're kind of taking the second day of the workshop. So the workshops are sort of kind of five days. People usually show up Wednesday evening, Wednesday afternoon and set up camp, and then you're here Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and most people tend to leave Sunday morning. And Sunday morning it's like, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. We need to put our lives back together uh, type of thing. Um, but we're going to take that, that the, the work days, the days that we actually do workshop stuff and, and, and all the and organize, organized stuff and meals and all, is Wednesday, or sorry, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're taking that Friday, that second day, and we're making it kind of like, you know what, it's, it's the 10th year of this thing. It's almost like the TSP anniversary uh, party 2.0. And what we're going to do, we'll have breakfast like normal, and uh, then we're going to have a, a presentation that's typical of our workshops. It'll be John Dowie on microgreens, and that'll just give a, like a buffer between breakfast and then a day of David and I just doing awesome stuff for y'all with the support of the kitchen staff who are just, we couldn't do it without them uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, certainly when we're doing this. But we're going to have this kind of day, and I won't tell you exactly what we're going to be serving, but it's going to be kind of like a day-long dinner party. Uh, microgreens, obviously, will be there. Some really cool different sausages. Um, it, it will be some of the food you've had before, but a lot of stuff you haven't. And... Uh, adult libations all the way through as well. we'll we're going to kind of kick that off. I will give this away at this point with a, a Bloody Mary breakfast bar after breakfast, or maybe br Bloody Mary brunch. Uh, David will tell you the story of the Bloody Mary, where it came from, and we'll have some you know interesting stuff out that you guys can add to your bloodies and stuff like that. And we'll be giving everybody the shot glasses that we gave out at the anniversary. And so while the bloody might be a little bit bigger of a drink and something we're going to be doing at the end might be a little bit bigger of a drink, if we let you all drink what we're going to be pouring all the way through, everybody's going to be on the floor and nobody's going to make it to barter blanket. So those little shot glasses, we'll be doing samples of different drinks with food throughout the whole day. So there won't really be a dinner or a lunch. The whole thing will be this long, you know, kind of just all-day fun fest. Uh, with us talking about what we cooked and how we cooked it, where it came from, uh, how you can do it yourself, but really let's just let's just eat, drink, and be merry. And uh, so anyway, skip the the first day will be a typical day. We're going to really focus on food production. I'll be presenting. Nick Ferguson will be production uh, pre uh, presenting. David Siegler will be presenting. Uh, we'll be doing a uh, panel discussion that evening, and Cole Reisner will play a live concert Thursday night. Then we move into Friday, which will be what I just explained. And then, of course, at the end of Friday's festivities, the festivities continue at the barter blanket. And we have some stuff planned for that that will make it a bigger, badder, uh, more interesting, better barter blanket than ever. And remember, what happens at the blanket stays at the blanket. So no videoing of the barter blanket. Some interesting things happen there. On that note, there'll be a, a, a bonus unadvertised class going on Wednesday evening uh, as everybody's arriving that will uh, contribute to the libations uh, that will take place on Friday. You guys can figure out what that is. 
you know, ethanol and whatnot. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And tons of learning and tons of social time. And I'm, what we're going to try to do is make this one more a party atmosphere than just a serious let's learn. There'll be tons of learning, but we're going to have less classes that are going to last longer. So instead of having 45-minute classes, 15-minute uh, for Q&A, we're probably going to run one-hour classes with up to, not required, but up to a half-hour of Q&A. Uh, that way people, and then we'll still have buffer in between them, and we'll have all this other cool stuff going on. We really want to get people into networking mode and sticking together. That's always happened, but we want to make that even better. Uh, we came up on the fly last year with like a five-minute tell-your-story, your idea, et cetera type of thing. We're probably going to do that Thursday evening um, this time around. Uh, Thursday late afternoon and a Thursday evening, kind of maybe through even and around dinner um, so that people know who's there and everybody is well met with each other. And if somebody has an idea and somebody thinks they can contribute to it, you've got another two full days to talk about it. Uh, and it, it just should be the best thing we've ever done. On that note, I'm probably going to put tickets for sale for it. And I'm going to not, I'm not committing 100% to this right now. There's a lot of stuff to be done, but I'm thinking September 21st uh, is a Friday, so maybe September 22nd uh, is a Saturday, because the way I do this, I put them up for sale in the morning, and usually within two hours they're gone, and it's sometimes when people are at work, it's hard to be able to get uh, a ticket uh, for yourself or for yourself and your spouse if you're both coming, so... It's probably going to be that week, the week of September 21st, but I'm probably going to do it on Saturday is when I'll open it, and I'll keep it open Saturday and Sunday for MSB, and if there's any room left, we will open that up on the Monday for anybody that wants to come. But the way it always works is you'll go log in your MSB account, and there'll be a link there that's only for MSB members, and I do that as an added benefit because these things always sell out. And since we've gone and doing only one a year instead of two, um, and with the way this one's going to be, I think there's going to be like the huge return of the alumni and hopefully some new people because, I mean, it's just going to be that fantastic. Uh, it will be a life-changing event. And about, a, what, two weeks before uh, Thanksgiving. So that'll be cool. It also worked out that um, November 11th, of course, being Veterans Day, will be that Sunday. Uh, and I usually do the Veterans Day special. So I'll do the Veterans Day special on the 12th. And that'll give me a day to actually recover. For the first time ever, I will have a day of recovery uh, after one of these things. And that'll be good for my voice and my mental state. Uh, so that'll, that'll be cool, too. So that's what's going on with the workshop. And if you've always thought, like, I need to get to one someday, this is going to be the one to get to. I mean, this is going to be the one to get to. And I am going to work out how to do more people for it. Uh, not a ton more than normal, but a bit more than normal. We will, we, will, we will bring more people to this one. You guys have been great over the years at carpooling. People that fly into the airport don't rent a car, get an Uber, uh, things like that. You know, People you know, hooking up with each other and sharing Ubers and stuff. That's made it better for you all because it costs you less money. And it's made it better for us because I have less of a headcount problem and more of a parking problem. So we've had no trouble 
getting everybody parked the last couple years with the parking Nazis, Nick Ferguson and David Siegler. Uh, with that continuing and with y'all's efforts, I think we can definitely bring in more people this time. So I'm going to do everything I can to accommodate as many as I can. But pay attention to the site. Be ready. Set your alarm. And when those things go on sale this year, I would not be surprised if we have, you know, we've had years where it's, you know, under an hour and they're sold out. I think that's probably going to be this year. And uh, there's going to be some cool swag given away. Um, I mentioned the shot glasses. I have some other ideas, and I may have to, just from a financial standpoint, basically say, hey, if you want one of these, it's going to be this much money, and then kind of get an idea of how many to order. But since we're doing a lot of cool things with new drinks on Instagram, and we came up with the Miyagi Mule, what's that? You'll have to go to Instagram to find out. Um, if you, if, if we, come, we might be doing a whole different line of mule drinks, so I might be doing a TSP Mule Mug, I think those will be cool, and that might be something we make available for a little, you know, about what they cost us to y'all. And I know I'm going to hear, like, why don't you make these, you know, the, the flasks and the shot glass and stuff like that available for people to order on online? It's not the business I want to be in. I have to do a tremendous amount of volume to make it profitable enough to change my mind. But the bigger thing is, I've thought about it, and things like holding that stuff for workshops and anniversary things or maybe special events. There may be some special events. I'm not going to say what, but there may be some special events that I'll be at uh, this fall and going into next year. Uh, and making it where people have to come to a place to even get one, I think it makes it more valuable. I think it makes it more special. I think it makes it more of a connection to the community. So that's probably how we're going to take it. But that's going to be the fall workshop And we will have video being shot again and all. I've had some of you ask me what happened to the video from last year. The video from last year is sitting on a computer that crashed, that I have not been able to fix or get fixed. And so that's that's an issue. I'm going to talk to uh, Hatch, who does our video work, and see if I can have him basically, as the video's coming out, immediately uploading it. Screw editing, none of that stuff. Just as it happened, uploading it to the Vimeo channel, And that way it can be made almost immediately available to MSB members. So we'll be trying to do that this year for you guys and making sure we, we make sure that we record all of the, the parts that we can anyway. Um, next up, let's talk more about the farm itself. I want to talk to you guys about why ducks are returning to Nine Mile Farm and, and what's going to be different this time. I've had a lot of people reach out to me since I mentioned this and say, well, that didn't last long. I knew you couldn't stay away from ducks. This was always the plan. Exactly when they were coming back, I wasn't sure, but I knew it would be this fall-ish. I didn't know if I might go ahead and do it in August, wait till September, October, but I wanted you know adult ducks laying eggs again by you know true spring next year. You're 180 days out on, on egg laying for these guys roughly, right at like 22 to 24 weeks. So you know if we get them in, in October, uh, September, we're looking at eggs in March, and so. There was a reason that they went away, and there was a reason that they all went away. Because I've also been asked, well, if you were going to end up with a little 10 ducks, why didn't you just keep 10 ducks? The property needed a, a spring of no grazing. It was at a point where we had done so much, so fast, in so many ways. It wasn't that I couldn't have done that for me to really understand the seed bank that had been left 
and what they had done and what they had created required me to take them away. That was one thing. Two was I wanted this spring and this summer to be easy for me and Dorothy. I wanted as little work as possible. Something inside me told me it was going to be difficult, and it was. And that was the drought. I don't know if I had any premonitions of that or what, but I just felt like we're going to need this. Uh, we also have the Tyrant twos of Tegan, and so this was a good summer, especially when Dorothy had both kids until school just started again, to not have anything else to do. So there was a bunch of reasons from a lifestyle standpoint, and so the ducks went away. Now, coming back, the other reason that I kind of felt like they needed to go away, I had already decided in my head, and I hadn't decided what breed yet, but when they came back, that we would have a single breed. So that if, if I hatched out ducklings or whatever, I knew exactly what I had, And I could market them as such and sell them locally. And I don't want to go into that as a business, but, you know, if you can sell, you know, uh, 20 young ducks a year and pay for your feed for a couple months out of the year, that's not a bad thing. Also, as your ducks get older, being able to replace out of your own flock, that's not a bad thing. And being able to hatch ducks for meat, that's not a bad thing. Uh, and I think a duck at about 12 to 14 weeks is about the perfect time to harvest as a meat animal. Now, I know Dorothy won't be in love with this idea, but it's something I'll just take care of and handle myself. So I wanted a bird that was a dual-purpose bird. And you know what I've always said about dual-purpose birds. If they're dual-purpose, they're not exceptional at either thing. But as a homesteader, I don't need them to be exceptional at either thing. I just need to be good to, be, to have them be good at both. When I looked at availability of ducks in the fall and what I could actually get my hands on, and with that in mind, the Rowan duck was really the perfect duck. And, I, and as I thought about it more, I thought this is even better because this is really the original domestic duck. It, 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 I've, I've done a lot on ducks in the past, but ducks all come from the mallard as far as domestic ducks. The only domesticated duck that is not, you know, the, a, a grandchild, great-grandbaby, whatever, of the mallard, uh, is the Muscovy. That, that's it. Every other duck that you see, uh, Cayuga, uh, your uh, Saxonese, Silver Apple Yards, your 300 Layers, your Khaki Campbells, your Fawn Runners, etc., is as different as they look. Body style, size, feather colors, everything. They all come from mallards. And the Rowans were mallards that were bred to larger and larger size to make a duck that's about two to two and a half times the size of a wild mallard. That's really all a Rowan is, is a big-ass mallard. They lay great eggs. They lay enough to make a good homestead animal. And they're a large enough bird that they make a good meat bird. So that's why we kind of brought them around that way. I want to relaunch the Duck Chronicles. That'll be season four, and I'm going to be doing it this time for homesteaders. Because even though I always said, you know, you can do this on a small property with half a dozen ducks or whatever, I always showed the execution of this as a commercial operation. Because let's face it, when you're running 120 ducks, if you're not doing it as a commercial operation, you're you have a very expensive group of pets, 
I mean, that's what you have, a very expensive group of pets. And you have a lot of weight. Like, you can, there's no way a family my size can use the eggs from 100. There's no way we could use the eggs from 50. We'll have more eggs than we can use from eight layers. We're doing eight ducks and two drakes. And we may even call a couple of our old customers and pick like one or two and say, we'll sell you eggs again. But I want to do this so that if you're out there and thinking, I want my little homestead, I have no grand designs on a business, and I want some animal on my property that will graze and predate insects to produce protein for me, I think that the best animal for that is the duck. I think they are better than the chicken for most people, not for all people, for most people. And I think that can be a group as small as four or five and a group up to about a dozen to a dozen and a half. And I think that the techniques and the tactics and how you implement them and how you take care of the animals and how you protect them from predators is the same for the, for that group, whether it's four ducks or, or 14 ducks. So I think this is going to be good for all of you guys. Um, it's also true that you can train ducks that a certain area is bad. They just shouldn't go there. They don't need to know why. They just, like, uh, when we go there, we get yelled at, and it, it seems bad, so we're not going to go there anymore. It's hard to do with a 100 and some odd ducks, all of different generations and stuff like that. Um, but if you start out with a small flock, so we're to show you how to do that, because Gar Dorothy has a nice little garden area out front now, and the ducks don't tear it apart anymore. They don't eat all her plants. Well, we're gonna we're gonna you know set the alarm off every time they come near there. And there's a couple other places on the property that I'm just gonna make them feel like we never 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 go there. And as you get, if you do replace some of your birds and you ha let them hatch out some, and they bring ducklings and they raise those ducklings, the ducklings are gonna learn what the flock does, and they're gonna follow the flock. So I think that'll be kind of a cool thing. And I'll be doing a smaller, simpler sprouting system. Um, it's hard to beat five-gallon buckets for sprouting uh, sunflower seeds. But, you know, I had the big rack system with the sprinklers and all and stuff like that. And it, that's actually kind of hard to justify setting something up like that for a half dozen to a dozen birds. It really is. So I'm going to have like a, a dead, dead simple, right? Instead of dead simple, a dead, dead simple system to produce enough sprouts to, you know, augment the diet of these birds Uh, especially during the times of year where there's not a lot of greens for them because that's really when it's most important. So all of that's coming. Um, also, after a major stall, uh, the 300-gallon new aquaponic system, I made a lot of progress on it on it last week last week and last, this, this most recent weekend. Uh, I got a lot of the plumbing done. I got a lot of the trenching done. And the, you know, the, the place I put it is the only good place for it to go on the property. It really is. It, it, it screams to be there. It is awful from a standpoint of putting pipes in the ground. I've spent more time and more work digging to put this thing in. And I only dropped the tank like eight inches. So a 300-gallon Rubbermaid tank, eight inches, it's not that big of a hole. But when you're using picks you know, for more work, do, to do more of the work than you are shovels because it's all rock, uh, it, it, it wears you out. And for those that maybe didn't hear, might be new to the show or what have you, or kind of skipped over part of the summer, I had a major dehydration issue uh, that, that, that almost felt more like a stroke than dehydration. Uh, and I was down flat for two to three days. 
and I was worn out for about two weeks. And it was a wake-up call that I was pushing myself physically way too hard uh, in this Texas heat. And uh, I kind of was in the middle of this project when that happened. I had like two and a half weeks until I was going to go on vacation to Florida for ten days. And I'm like, this is not going to ruin my vacation. This is not going to ruin it for my wife. So I really took it easy for those two weeks. And by the time we got back, then it was even hotter. And I just kind of piddled around with it, didn't get anything done, um, and focused on other things, mostly indoor activities. And uh, now there is a little bit of a change, and the, the, there is a little bit more cool in the morning and cool in the evening, and I've, I've been getting a lot more done with it, and it's coming along. And it is going to be, at minimum, six four-by-four four wicking beds attached to it. And that's going to become the core of our production. And it may be eight... And if I can make it work and make it look right, it may even be 10 wicking beds off of this one system. And remember, this is going to be the dressed-up pretty system. This is going to be one when your wife says, I don't want it, it looks ugly. You can go, look what Jack built. Well, if it looks like that, then it's okay. Like So, so that's uh, what we're working on there. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's coming around pretty good. We also put some uh, goldfish in it. I've been running minnows in it for about two months. Because uh, the tank works, and there's two ebb and flow beds, and they're cycling. And we grew a whole bunch of Armenian snake melon on it, which are like a giant cucumber and uh, basil and a bunch of other stuff. And it. so it's been productive. It just, it ain't actually, like, that's the secondary production. Those two ebb and flow beds are like the primary filter for the system. Uh, it is the, the, the wicking beds that are going to be the, the caloric producers. Uh, so I got it to a point now where I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to get there. And I came up with a pretty innovative plumbing solution. Uh, to make my life a little easier with the ground being the way that it is. Uh, and it's time to start building out. I've got two of the stands built. I'm going to build two more. I should have, um, I should have two of the wicking beds completed, I would say, by this weekend. And, uh, I should have the other, the next two, probably the stands built, plumbed out, and cycling by this weekend. So, or maybe by next weekend. And I'm, you know, trying not to get too ahead of myself and just keep planning the expansion of it. And, and once I have, once I get this next piece done, adding on gets really easy. It's the area and the way everything has to be to get it started. It's been a lot more work than I expected, but that's coming forward. And that's going to let us, as we go into the spring of 2019, really bring up the garden production in a way that we haven't up till now because we've had the aviary and the the issue I have in the aviary is to make that system work because we couldn't get down deep there either and because we used IBCs, everything's high, everything's tall. So even pepper plants end up hitting the top of the aviary, which isn't a terrible thing, but any vining crop, it just it, it's very difficult to maintain in there. So I'll, I'll save it on that, but we're going to go to only a couple things growing in the aviary and everything else out here in this place that is just a fantastic location and a place that you'll always see. It's what I teach about gardening. You don't want your garden all the way in the back. You want it right when you walk out, there it is because that way you maintain it. And even though these tanks are lower than the aviary, they're up high enough that we will have zero duck problems. We're not going to have any duck problems with ducks getting up and tearing up those gardens. We won't have to train them to stay away from them. And in some of them, I will grow sweet potatoes in those too and go ahead and trail them over. And they can eat all the sweet potato off the end of the vine when it hits the ground that they want. That's fine with me. So we, we have that going really, really well. Moving on to the aviary in tw by 2019, 
Um, the plan for the new ducks is as follows. They will come to our house. I'll probably bring a 100-gallon Rubbermaid tub in the house and make a brooder for them in it. Ten ducklings and a 100-gallon Rubbermaid, that's easy. Uh, I'll use the water flow-through system that I've created in the past. You just watch season four, you'll see that happen um, to keep them from getting wet and things like that. And we'll probably have them in the, uh, the, uh, the brooder for about three weeks. Uh, I'm a big believer in getting them outside as soon as possible, so I may have them in the shade in the old chicken duck tractor uh, by their second week. By the time they're about three to four weeks of age, as soon as I think they're big enough that if the chickens don't really love them, they won't be a problem, they're going to go in the aviary with the chickens until they're big enough to be free. And when they are big enough to be free, they and the three little brown chickens are going to move back to the old duck holding area, and the aviary will be chickenless. And as everybody that's long-term listener knows, my reason for putting those little bantam chickens in there was bantam chickens go broody. They'll hatch quail eggs. I won't have to do any work. Yeah, the problem is the bantam chickens I got anyway eat the quail's eggs. So we've had quail pets for a while, and we've had you know we've lost some, and I've taken some for meat, and there's probably half a dozen of them running around in there now. And I have no idea if any of them are males. I don't think they are. I haven't even bothered to check. Um, I get maybe one quail egg a week that the chickens don't find. So. I've got a good friend named Steve that has a lot of quail now, and I will get some chicks from him, uh, hopefully some half-grown birds from him, and we will restock the aviary with quail. And we will be back to having a significant number of quail eggs, which I love having, uh, and a meat production out of the quail, which is what that system was always supposed to be. The chickens were supposed to make it better, and they didn't really make it worse. They just made it not work at all. So that's going back to that. As far as what we're going to grow in there, we'll grow lettuces and stuff in the winter, kale, whatever, because it's it's a great place to grow in the winter. Um, but in the winter, honestly, the best thing to do with that system is drain it, so you don't have any frozen pipes or problems like that coming out of the greenhouse aquaponics system. And uh, we'll uh, we're going to grow in the summertime sweet potatoes and peppers, and I can grow the, the peppers in there this year are amazing, uh, but they're competing with other plants. If I grow in each bed. Four pepper plants and sweet potatoes. That system is completely self-maintaining. There's almost nothing that can go wrong with it, and the productivity is huge, which means all the other new grow space can grow things other than sweet potatoes and peppers. Because trust me, the amount of peppers I can grow in there is just more than I can ever use. So that kind of puts us in a whole new Mode, uh, mode of operation, I guess. Except that it's just an evolution of what we started two years ago when we started paring down how big we wanted our operation to be and, and heading more into more of a homesteader-type mentality. Um, then the big project that will happen this winter is I, I've talked and talked about doing another timber frame pond, doing a really big one, and I've talked about doing a 12 by 12. I've talked about doing you know 12 by 10. And I, I, I kept trying to design in wicking beds and aquaponic elements and things like that to it. In fact, the tanks that I'm using for the wicking beds for the 300-gallon system were supposed to go to there. And when I started looking at doing that, I kept going, I just don't think this is the right thing to do. I didn't think it was a bad idea. I just kept thinking to myself, this doesn't give you what you want. You know, The location is perfect for the pond, but it's not perfect for the main garden. 
It would be a lot more work if you do it this way. You want to make less work. Think about it. Yes, you had your farmhand dig a hole. The hole doesn't hurt anything. Leave it sit there. You're probably going to make it bigger anyway. Just don't start on this thing. There was a voice in my head going, don't do this. Wait. Let the truth, you know, let the right thing come to you. It's not there yet. And this is what I've decided. I love water. I love ponds. I love aquatic systems. And I like lots of surface area. So by doing the math on the economics, I can build a 16 by 16 timber frame pond for less than I would have had into it every other way I had it designed as a smaller pond. It will hold about 5,000 gallons of water. It will be a true pond system. And there will be plants in it, and I will probably put some ebb and flow on it just for biological filtration. But it won't be tied into wicking beds. And it's not going to be like the main Miyagi right now. It's all crowded. That's going to change too, but we won't get into that today. We're about done for the day, honestly. Um, But it's going to stay open where you can sit on it. I'm only going to make it above ground level at the most 30 inches. And I'd like to make it significantly deeper than that as far as the depth. So I might rent a mini-X for a day and kind of really pull that area down. I could probably at least get a foot over there, pulling up the top rock that crumbles off. And I'll lose some of the depth when I put padding down and whatnot. But honestly, I think I can get you know about 36 inches of depth and maybe have the rail only 2 feet, 24 inches up, high enough to keep ducks out. Maybe 30 inches up will be better because I don't want ducks getting in there. You have to have some uh, freeboard. So you know, about 24 inches to the water line and about 30 inches to the top rail is enough to keep the ducks out. But that's something that you can kind of go over maybe just kind of stand on your tiptoes and easily sit down on and, and just sit out there and look at it. And I'll be able to have a huge fish population in there. Uh, I'll be able to let my, my grandson fish in the dadgone thing. Uh, and that will be the end of our aquatics. As far as you know, new systems going in, unless I ever get crazy and do something big out in the far field and try to save that pond over there, that'll be it. That'll be the last one. And we'll be kind of done at that point with the infrastructure and the way we want the design to be. And it's five, six years of planning and trying, and this worked and this didn't, and this was good and that wasn't. And you know, we kind of finally have that final view. Uh, and and this, is, this is the time to make it happen, this fall and winter, 2018, 2019. And what that, what that brings me to with you guys, what are your plans for fall and winter, you know, 2018, 2019? They're really in a better time of the year to get a lot of things done. You know, you've you got to start thinking about your plant propagation going into next year already. Or you got to start thinking about maybe starting some plants for your fall garden. Uh, a lot of you guys, like, you want to put stuff out for your fall garden, but if you put it out in the garden right now, it's just too hot. You're kind of in the, the reverse of, of spring. You know, you can get some certain plants that, that can handle frost and things like that. You can get them going in your grow tent or indoors or something like that right now and get them put out, you know, the end of September. There, there's just a, so much to be done. And we really are ticking it off, guys. I want to I want to give you this again. September 22nd, first day of fall, Fall equinox, 25 days away. Halloween, little kids running around with masks and bags of candy, 64 days. And watch the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, uh, somewhere probably around 60 days from now. Uh, TSP Fall Workshop, 
72 days away. Thanksgiving, 87 days. And you know what Thanksgiving hits? It's just the holiday season. It's all coming. Tick-tock, tick-tock. The clock ticks for us all. Can, can you hear it ticking for you? And what are you going to be doing on your homesteads? Your little tenth of an acre backyard. What are you going to be doing in your lives? What hobbies are you going to start, get into to learn more skills? Well, what are the projects you're going to do with your kids? It's just a great time to just pause and think about that. And I think one of the best things you can do to plan the journey forward is what we've been doing this summer. I've been looking back at all the things that I'm like, I wish I would have done that differently. I even like that, but it could have been better. And applying that to going forward. It, it, it's made for a really great plan and one that I'm con you know, confident we can execute this year. So I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me know what you're doing in your life. That, that it's just, it's just a great time. Like I, like I said, as you know, kids are heading back to school, uh, we're coming up on a holiday, and I will be shutting down Monday next Monday next week. Uh, so you know, that that's kind of the end of summer for more, most people is that holiday, even though technically it's September 22nd. Labor Day weekend is kind of that official end of summer for most people. So. That's just a great time to sit back and think about it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. I know it's a little bit different. I know if you're a new listener, you might have been like a little lost in this one. And, and if that's the case, you know, try listening to something from a couple days ago or listening tomorrow or what have you. Um, I do these shows like this sometimes that really speak to the long-term audience because the community is so important to me. And I want you guys to know what I've learned in, in, in our successes and our mistakes and uh, kind of where we're heading. And so I hope you enjoyed today's show. And I hope you guys are okay with me going, being gone yesterday. Uh, I needed that day off. And uh, more than anything, uh, my buddy David, it was well time for him to have a break. And my brother-in-law, that's what started the whole thing out. My brother-in-law, my, my wife told me that she said, you know, Her sister said, well, I wish he'd take Mark fishing. He really needs a break. And I'm like, well, that doesn't take much to get me to take somebody fishing. So uh, anyway, uh, th there's a lesson in that, too. Make time to go do some stuff that you just enjoy. The apocalypse isn't coming. At least it ain't coming tomorrow. Enjoy. And if it is, well, then it's even more important. It's even more important to enjoy your life. With that, I hope you did enjoy today's show. If you like the work we do and you want to support us, one of the ways you can do that is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. You know, over the years, I've, I've struggled with my weight. I've gained and lost weight quite a few times, even since I've been doing this show. I never put the weight back on fully that I had lost, but I put more of it back on than I wanted to. Uh, some of you have seen recent photos of me. I've, I've really slimmed down again, and I'm continuing to do so. And one of the things that I think has helped me, even with putting weight back on at times, with not overdoing it, is staying away from sugar. Just sugar is just, to me, the worst thing in our lives, in our American diets. Highly concentrated sugar sources are not something that people ever had access to throughout a year. Maybe in a, you know one portion of time with a high fruit harvest. And even that was self-limiting because of fiber and stuff. But refined sugar is a relatively new thing for humankind, and it's bad. Uh, if you look at type 2 diabetes rates from 1980 till today, it's, it's scary. And if you look at the correlation with obesity, it's scary. And the product that I have for you today at 
tspaz.com is Sweet Lop, Sweet Drops Liquid Stevia. Um, I have tried a lot of different Stevia brands. This one is the best that I have found. It doesn't work in everything. For instance, if you like your coffee sweetened, I don't really like the way it sweetens coffee. I just don't. Tea? I think it's fantastic. I have a cup of Jack's Morning Blend tea in front of me right now, and uh, I, I think it's an, a great sweetener. But if you use it in things like tea, or if you make, I, I give away a recipe with uh, with this one uh, about making strawberry limeade and giving that to your kids instead of uh, soda and other things like that. The amount of sugar that a person can take out of their diet without really giving anything up in a week with this stuff is kind of amazing. I did uh, a little bit of math when I put this one together the first time I ran this review. Let's look at it this way. It, one Coke has 39 carbs in it. And if you drink um, that weekly, a Coke a day weekly, you're getting a, a four Cokes a day would get you up to 1,092 grams of carbs a week. So four Cokes a day, how many kids drink that? 1,000 grams of carb a week. Cut that in half down to two Cokes a day. 546 grams of carbohydrate a week. That just jacks your insulin resistance. Calorically, two Cokes a day, 2,000 calories a week. If you come up with a drink that you can replace soft drinks with and use this as your sweetener instead of those, no matter what it is, you take 2,000 calories a week out of your out of your diet. If we go back to four day, that's 8,000 calories a, a, a di- out, of, out of your diet a week. It's it, it's unbelievable. Uh, it could be you know like f- several full days of eating, and I'm telling you, this will save lives this not necessarily this product but an awareness of sugar and a conscious reduction of it from your diet will save lives um a lot of people that die today uh and and people say well you know it it wasn't type 2 diabetes that killed them it sure didn't help and obesity is in even when that's not listed as the cause of death a lot of times heart attacks and strokes and stuff like that obesity was a major contributing factor and sugar was a major contributing factor to obesity so i know i'm kind of pounding on this one but i think it's really important and i think it's such an easy shift it's really hard to tell a kid you can't have sugar drinks anymore if you've been letting them have it for 5 years but it's easy to go here try this oh that's good okay drink that that's what you get from now on it's much easier. It's easier for yourselves, too. And then, I, you know, I didn't realize that I had never put this out before, but I came out with uh, that uh, what they call the Miyagi Mule, which is like a ginger, lemon, rum, or ginger, lemon, and vodka drink with sparkling water. And it's, it's really an awesome adult beverage. And uh, I posted a follow-up picture to it after the one we initially put out, and I had used a little bit of simple syrup in it. And I was like, why'd you do that? Because a lot of drinks were, I do want some level of sweetness brought to them. I've been using the liquid stevia. This is great as a replacement for simple syrups and drinks. And you can fine-tune it. It's a drop. Put a drop, taste it. Mix it up. Not enough, put another drop until you figure out your level that gives you what you're looking for in it. It's a great product, and again, I do believe it will save lives. You can find it at tspaz.com, T-S. P-A-Z.com. Remember, as long as you shop online through T-SPAS, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work we do, no matter what you buy. Now, that brings us to our Song of the Day. Song of the Day today is by George Harrison. 
Yes, one of the Beals. It was a song from him after uh, the Beals broke up. The song was called Beware the Darkness. I'm going to give you a little bit of information on it off of Song Facts. It says, in this song, George Harrison warns against falling victim to the negativity that surrounds us. Having been through a breakup with the Beatles, he had experienced intense pressure and many unpleasant byproducts that some with the rock star lifestyle. There's also a political component here as he sings, Beware of greedy leaders. They take you where you should not go. Harrison often looked to spirituality as a means to escape darkness. Harrison was an avid gardener, and he made an arboreal reference in this song, Weeping Atlas Cedars, they just want to grow, grow and grow. Harrison was likely referring to Blue Atlas Cedar Tree, a sturdy conifer that can grow in, uh, or uh, that can grow under adverse conditions. Um, and there's more here. There's some interesting stuff you might want to read on Song Facts. I have a link to it. But avoiding the negativity, and, and the song has a very deep, dark tone to it. But avoiding negativity to me, that 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 is maybe more important than a lot of things people. Think of when they think of darkness, and bad and evil. And in fact, if you read the stuff on Song Facts, you'll see there's a point where um, at the Republican National Convention, when Ivanka Trump came out, they played Here Comes the Sun. And uh, apparently the Harrison estate suggested that, that was they didn't like that. And here's what the Harrison estate said about that. They suggested the song... The song um, Avoid the Darkness would have been a better choice, tweeting this, The unauthorized use of Pound Here Comes the Sun uh, at the uh, Republican National Convention is offensive and against the wishes of the George Harrison estate. If it had been Beware of the Darkness, then we may have approved it. Hashtag Trump yourself. Okay. So they're very angry and bitter that, that, that I guess, Trump's the greedy leader. And, see, this is, this is why I'm so anti-political anymore. The, the the complete and total angry reaction there because this guy must be Satan. And the same when it goes on the other side because it's the same way that people viewed Hillary Clinton. I don't trust any of these people, you know that. But I think the, the bigger danger is the polarization of the people. They're like, oh, you're bad because you, you support so-and-so. I don't support anyone. I guess that's even worse in, in some people's minds. And it's this kind of this 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 macro view that the darkness is some kind of big evil cabal, or some politician or some political party. The darkness that really affects most people the most is their self-imposed darkness. It's the negativity. It's the you can't, you won't, and honestly, focusing on these these larger things too much, like politics and things going on on the other side of the world and things like that. What that really does is it gives you an excuse to not accomplish things, to not get shit done. Well, it's Trump's fault. Okay, so but what what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to fight Trump. No, you're not. You hold up a sign, wear a pink hat, whatever. You're not doing anything. You're going to make a meme. You're not doing anything. What are you going to do in your backyard? You know. And when when Obama was in power, it was the same thing from the right. It's the same crap. In the end, for most people, your day-to-day life has not really changed since Trump was president. It didn't really change when Obama was president. It didn't really change when Bush was president. It didn't really change when Clinton was president. I've been around long enough now to finally be able to look back 
and, and, and think about things like, I remember Jimmy Carter. And I know that my life has changed immensely from a day-to-day standpoint. Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, Bill Clinton, George Bush II, Barack Obama, and now Donald Trump. I have had a lot of change in my life. But I'm also aware that they had almost nothing to do with it. The darkness is the belief that they, whoever they are for you, are the ones that are making your life better or worse. That things will just be better if. No, bullshit. Things will be better when you decide to flip the light switch on in your own life. Because let me explain something to you about darkness that's the most difficult thing for people to understand. Darkness doesn't exist. Darkness isn't real. Darkness is only the absence of light. And we destroy darkness with light. We do that with the flip of a switch to destroy the darkness of a room. The darkness never existed. It was only the absence of light. When somebody truly is a dark person, we destroy their darkness with the the light of the truth. But it's in our own lives, inside that circle, not just of influence, but that circle of control, that the light switch exists within our mind. It exists as a piece of our soul. We have a choice. We turn on that light. We don't beware the darkness. We destroy it. Once we can see the things that we can affect and we go affect them, the darkness is gone. It's irrelevant. We realize it was never there. But if we turn off that switch, let the darkness fill us with excuses. Let it fill us with reasons that we cannot. We let it fill us with reasons to procrastinate. We let it fill us with reasons to treat people the wrong way because of who they support or what sign they put in their yard instead of the fact that they're simply another human being. We, we get filled with something that doesn't even exist. We're not filled with darkness at that point. We've turned off the light. With that... It's been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
We 